This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery. Bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to Total Saints Podcast, sponsored by happyhottubs.co.uk. My name is Ben Stanfield, I'm the host of TSP, and you can find me on Twitter, at Ben Stanners. Alongside me this season, I have two experienced Saints watchers. Firstly, it's the Daily Echo's Chief Sports Writer and Manager of the Fantasy Premier League 2018 Champions, or so he thinks, transfers are for wimps. It's Adam Leach at Adam Leach Sport. Adam, finally some competitive Premier League football to get your journalistic teeth sunk into. Yeah, it was good, and, and yeah, it's always a relief when pre-season ends at this at this stage because you don't have to try and keep track of about 28 substitutions, <laughs> which is always the the biggest bugbear of trying to cover pre-season matches is that you happen to get into your laptop and type for four minutes, and you look up and you go, half the team's changed. What happened there? Uh, and then you're inevitably in the press box when there's only three people between you spend the next 20 minutes trying to work out what the substitutions were. In the meantime, there were more substitutions. So glad that you can only make three substitutions now. Absolutely. And uh, you, you made a, a mention earlier on that there was fireworks and uh, the good old clackers were back as well. So it was uh, it was probably like you'd never been away, wasn't it? Oh, the fire was absolutely immense because... <laughs> the highlight was... probably... It was like, um, there, well, there was two things that I loved about it that, that made it very, very Southampton Football Club uh, in that the day before had virtually like seemed to virtually set Wolverhampton alight with the amount of fireworks and explosions that they had. Saints had four little uh, fire things, so they hadn't really entirely done it properly. But it was just as well because it seemed like that the people that had set it up didn't really fully realise that they'd have to remove it. So the fire things, two of them were in the middle of the manager's technical areas and the referee was waiting to start the game and they were still there. Um, and so he had to delay the kickoff while the people, aided by the Saints security guys who came running over, were carrying uh, the bits and pieces and the canisters out and trying to take them apart. So I thought, well, that's a, Incredible. That's a really a great start to the season. <laughs> all in all. Oh, dear, oh dear, dear, oh dear. And uh, the third of our team is St Mary's season ticket holder and the owner of saintsweb.co.uk. It's Steve Grant, at Steve Grant 1983 on Twitter. Steve, likewise, I, I suppose, result aside, good to, to finally get back down to St Mary's and, uh, yeah, watch some competitive action. Yeah, I mean, there were, there were bits of the game where you kind of thought, if we teleported ourselves back into last season, but... <laughs> I think I think overall, there's probably just about more positives than negatives, and good to see the uh, the bright red pitch boundary true, yep, sort yep. of in, in person for the first time. That's that's been been the talk of the town apparently. <laughs> but no, it was it was it's kind of good good to be back up and running. But I mean, let's face it, not the not the best of games to start with. 
But ultimately, I think it was largely what most of us would have expected. Mm. And, and you strike me, I mean, we were just talking there about fireworks and clackers, Steve. I think probably to all of us, you strike us as uh, someone that would not put your clacker down for 90 minutes, I imagine. Oh, so I'm, uh, I'm, I'm probably <laughs> with my clacker. That's, uh... <laughs> yeah, well, with, yeah, that's probably a whole different conversation. But uh, no, good. OK, well, uh, I'm glad you enjoyed the AstroTurf, if, if nothing else. On this week's episode, we'll be reflecting on Saints' draw against Burnley. Um, we'll talk briefly about the final throws of the transfer window, which kept Adam on his toes. And finally, we'll preview Saints' first Saturday 3pm of the season up at Everton. This is Total Saints Podcast, episode 41, sponsored by Happy Hot Tubs. HappyHotTubs.co.uk At Happy Hot Tubs we specialise in hot tubs. It's all we've done for 35 years. So if you're thinking about a hot tub and want to speak to someone, then we're the place for honest, clear and friendly advice. Plus, right now we have 0% available on our hot tubs, meaning you can spread the cost in easy payments. You deserve happy. Come and get it at Happy Hot Tubs. Conditions apply. Visit HappyHotTubs.co.uk HappyHotTubs.co.uk 0% excludes free throw range. Saints kicked off their Premier League season this weekend with a rather drab 0-0 draw against Burnley at St Mary's. There was free ice cream for Saints fans courtesy of Virgin Media, but sadly that was pretty much the most entertaining part of the day. Steve, you just sort of mentioned there it wasn't uh, a great watch, but uh, result and performance, what did you make of it in general? Well, for me, the one the one thing you always want when you've had a bit of a rubbish season previous time and everyone's kind of got a little bit of positivity on the sort of strength of sort of staying up relatively late in the season. What you want is to start the season on the front foot and giving giving everyone something to sort of get their teeth into. And yet what we got for the first 20 minutes was arguably worse than anything we, we put out on the pitch last season. Mm. Um, I mean, that first 20 minutes was absolutely pathetic. Yep. Burnley passed the ball around us, look, made themselves look like, um, like we were playing against Manchester City. And yet it was just like, what have you been doing all all summer? Mm. Um, I mean, I know that obviously Burn, Burnley are obviously up up to up to speed a little bit quicker than us on the basis that they've played three competitive games already. But at the same time, they've been playing their full strength side twice a week, and yet um, so they theoretically, even though it's right at the start of the season, they they should have they shouldn't have had the legs in the tank, or at least looked like they had the legs in the tank compared to us. Mm. And yet that first twenty minutes. I mean, I, I don't think we got we even got out of our our own half. Yeah, yeah. I just don't just don't quite understand it. Yeah, I mean, we we can go on to to maybe talk about in inverted commas negatives in a minute, Adam. But maybe trying to start with some positives. I think everyone will agree with Steve. I know I I certainly do about that first twenty minutes. But looking at positives, it's a clean sheet. It's a point on the board. We're up and running to a certain extent. So there's still something for Saints to sort of take away from the game. Yeah, yeah, for sure. There's there's um there's plenty of positives as well. It was just a shame, really, the the way it started, but the way it ended gave you uh, much more cause for optimism mm. uh, on a number of levels. And uh, I think particularly, I was very, I have to say, I am pr- pretty much most of the other uh, guys who who watch Saints a lot were very very surprised by the team when we saw it. It was not what we expected at all because it appeared a little bit like. I mean, I, I put this in my in my verdict piece, but Saints have spent the majority of the summer playing with a back three. They've signed an 18 million pound centre half because they want to play with a back three and they felt they needed that player. And they spent the majority of the rest of the summer coming up with reasons and excuses for not signing a striker. Mm. And then all within the last 48 hours before the season started, they pretty much beginning to scratch away at that they got to the point where the team that came out to start the game though in a back three formation was more or less a similar team to what we saw at the end of last season rather than this new dynamic team with two strikers and and things like that they played like the team from last season and it took them going to a back four the formation that they've been desperately trying to avoid and they spent 18 million pounds hoping to avoid and the introduction of a striker who they spent most of the summer denying that they were needed uh, to actually turn it around, which mm. was uh, remarkable. But uh, that's sort of a, a general, a more general look at it. But uh, the positive, the flip side of that is that I, I thought it was encouraging in that in Hughes, you have a manager there who, whether you agree with that team that he started with or not, he recognised the problems clearly that, that were going on. It was, I suppose it was blindly obvious to everybody to an extent, but he actually uh, worked to address those immediately. 
he didn't just and this has been a criticism of a couple of the previous managers um just let things drag on ad infinitum because that was his idea and this is how, how we wanted it to go and, and you're, you're almost trying to force it to work he actually took positive proactive steps to address the problems um and they finished obviously the last half an hour very very strongly and um on the balance of the game a draw was certainly a fair result but they obviously had the momentum in the last half an hour so you sort of came away feeling that they were a bit unlucky not to win and i think that that's um that's a good positive uh, feeling to take forward on the on the flip side obviously only getting a draw at home in your first game puts you under quite a bit of pressure for the second game you really don't want to lose at everton because you don't really want one point from burnley at home and everton away uh, to begin the season if you can help it indeed i mean we lost at home to burnley last season we've drawn with them this season so if we're looking at it like for like i guess that's uh, one point up uh, compared to what we got last season but alex mccarthy you know made some important but sort of routine saves i think certainly kept them in the game first half as you mentioned steve nathan redmond armstrong looked uh, fairly decent um you, you mentioned the 18 million striker there adam but steve from your point of view yannick vestergaard i, I thought he looked pretty good he, he won a lot of headers uh, you know i think the the one thing is though that we were playing against the team today that have physical strikers rather than pacey strikers steve but you know all the same he, he sort of seemed to defend pretty well there was a couple of tough crosses he got his um foot on the end of as well so a, a pretty impressive premier league debut from him yeah, I thought he was. I thought he was decent. I mean, as you say, he's pro- he's probably not actually used to playing against that sort of direct style of football that that Burnley operate occasionally. I mean, as as I said earlier, they they knock the ball around quite nicely at times, which previous Sean Dyche Burnley sides haven't really done. Mm. Um, I mean, maybe we're seeing them evolve slightly, but um, certainly Chris Wood was a handful. Vokes was a handful as well when he came on, and I mean, to the extent that Vokes is first um first involvement was to land the, the center of his elbow in um Vestergaard's face mm. yeah I, th- I thought he thought he dealt with that reasonably well and as, as you say he's, he's not gonna, he's not going to be coming up against that sort of striker very often mm. once we come up against the strikers who are going to be a little bit quicker a little bit more savvy be interesting to see how he goes against those as well mm. uh, but yeah, all, all in all, decent debut for him, I think. Yeah. Adam, you mentioned the last 30 minutes. So once um, Danny Ings came on, who we'll talk more about in a minute, and uh, Al Yunisi, we, we did look more of a threat. Um, you, you would have spoken to Mark Hughes after the game, Adam. What, what did he make of it all? Yeah, I, I think he he was a bit confused as to sort of the, the reason, as to the reason why they sort of lacked a lot of intensity at the start. Um, he sort of tried to theorise why that might be. I mean, my my own opinion is that actually... I, I tend to think that there were a couple of things going on, and one of them with regards Burnley, which is obviously what's been brought up because of Burnley's um, extra games, competitive games that they've already played this season, is actually, I, I don't think it's overly surprising the way the game went, because they, they were always going to probably be a bit sharper than Saints because they've had three competitive matches already, and Saints have just been in pre-season. Mm. Um, and that was how they started, a lot sharper. You'd expect them to tire after a Thursday night trip to Istanbul, and Saints got a lot better later on. And I don't think those two things are completely coincidental. Yep. Um, I'm sure that you could see Burnley were beginning to flag physically towards the end. And I, I think that that partly played into the hands of, of Saints, who obviously had the far fresher legs. But I think in the end, Hughes basically said, well, it's not ideal drawing your first game at home. It's not really what we would have wanted, especially as obviously it was a it was a winnable game. But it's a clean sheet and it's a point and that's the next best thing really. So there's positives to, to take forward. I think that was his uh, overriding emotions. I think in the end, Steve, um, you know, chances and uh, goals look like they may well be at a, a premium this season. Bearing in mind the first half was quite tough for Saints. And I, I only really remember Lamina's header of note. I mean, we did end up having 18 shots, I think in the end. So, it wasn't like there wasn't enough huff and a puff. I guess on another day we might have got a penalty at the end. So there, there were, you know, as Adam said, there are positives to take away. And but, but I think it's evident there's a lot for for Saints to build on over the next few weeks as they get a bit more up to speed. Yeah, I agree. In terms of the sort of direction of, of the way the game ran, we finished the game stronger. So as a result, the sort of overriding opinion is all, is likely to be slightly more positive than negative. I think, and that's and that's fair enough. My question is whether Hughes actually knows his best team, mm. given that, I mean, Austin was dreadful today. I mean, let's let's not let's make no bones about it. He was abysmal. It was kind of like for an hour we were basically playing with 10. Yeah. And 
it was just such a marked difference when you had both Gabbiadini and Ings on the pitch. Mm. Just the pair of them, they, they just make more intelligent movements. They both seem to be just a little bit sharper as well, which is surprising given how little football Ings has played in the last, well, three years, really. Mm. Mm. Um, and I, I guess he's had a reasonable pre-season, I think, with Liverpool, but wouldn't have been playing 90 minutes on a regular basis. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he, he, I thought he looked, he looked very sharp, much sharper than I was expecting, to be honest. Yeah. Do you, do you uh, think, um, I mean, do you think on Austin, because I mean, I, I felt to a certain element, he looked quite isolated first half. Maybe that was because he wasn't moving around, but they, they seemed to be sitting so deep and letting Burnley have the ball that, I mean, there was a couple of times where he was, you know, one of 10 behind the ball for Saints. So, you know, to me, it almost looked, uh, I don't think he was at his best by any stretch of the imagination, but he did seem quite isolated. And a couple of times the ball came into the box and he was the only person in the box as well. Um, possibly, but I think that, I mean, there was one, there was one ball that came into the box where I think that Ings or Gabbiadini would have, would have got themselves on the end of it. And he was kind of dawdling back into the, into the area, having for some reason tried to drop deep and, and get involved. I mean, that's not his game. Mm. Um, I don't think Austin will ever claim that he's, I mean, he obviously wears the number 10 shirt, but I don't think anybody would ever claim that he is a number 10 in the, in the sort of tactical terminology sense. Mm. And yet he was trying to drop deep and get involved, but that's the way we were set up. That was kind of what Redmond, what it seemed as if Redmond and Armstrong were, were in the side for him. Managed to break on the counter a few times with, with the pair of those. Yeah. But Austin was never quite up to speed with it. He, he just doesn't seem fit to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and whether that's kind of his, his normal approach, I, mean, I guess it is maybe, but, for whatever reason, it, it just just felt like it was the wrong the wrong selection today. Yeah, no, absolutely. So me, moving on from the positives, if we if we haven't done that already, Adam, you, you mentioned there about the the front two scenario. We we spoke um, in last week's podcast about Burnley coming to play for a nil nil. I think everyone knew that they would um, do that after their travels, particularly the the last few days. Um, so we played two up front pretty much all pre season. Then the team comes out, we're playing one up front. I mean, do you, do you think we kind of played into their hands, uh, you know, to a certain extent? And are you not surprised that, you know, Hughes wouldn't have thought about that before the game rather than, uh, you know, an hour into it and changing then? Well, like I said, I was surprised by the team. Mm. I mean, I really didn't expect to only see one striker. I didn't necessarily think he would definitely play the two up front, as it were. Um, it, you know, because he has, we have seen him play in preseason Gabby Adini kind of off of Austin. Uh, so I thought that would be an option, but I was very surprised to see the team. And in fairness, I thought Nathan Redmond played played pretty well actually. Yeah. But yeah, I was, was surprised. Yeah, yes. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. yeah. But I was surprised to see him in the team because really he's kind of felt like a more peripheral figure in preseason, um, and they seem to have tried to almost sign players to, that would potentially usurp him, and, and the formation didn't really seem to be one you would think would naturally. Uh, suit him um, so I was very surprised to see him in the team likewise Jack Stevens I mean I know Mario Yoshida wasn't obviously uh, deemed quite fit enough to play but Jack Stevens in pre-season pretty much seemed to have slipped to fifth choice centre half mm. and yet there he was in the team and so the mm. whole thing was a little bit like as Steve said blimey this, this is, feels like last season again it seems like it's yeah. basically trying out more or less the same team again um, and then sort of they got pinned back and were sitting deep and yeah, that first part just just felt like a complete return to to all the problems of of last season. Um, on the Austin argument, I just wanted to weigh in on that, if that's all right. Go which is it. just to say that I think my instinct is to tend to agree with with your summation, Ben. In that obviously he he, he didn't have a good game today. There's no doubt about that. But I think the problem with Austin is that uh, I don't mean this to sound disrespectful, but he he as a player he's kind of got some limits as to what he can and can't do, which, to be fair, most players have when you're not playing for a top six team. So therefore, you need a team that, if you're going to have a player like that, is set up to play to that person's strengths. Um, And just, I don't think that the way Saints are playing really is going to massively suit Austin. He was very, very isolated in that first half for me. I mean, it was very difficult for him to get involved in the game. He's not going to often be uh, dropping deep, trying to link up the play. You just want Charlie Austin, you just want him in and around the penalty area. Yeah. But then you've got to be getting the balls into the box. Because if you're not getting the balls into the box, if that's not the way you're playing, if you start trying to kind of play through the middle and be a bit more cute and tricky, that's not really 
the kind of service that he's going to require. He's not going to be, you know, getting on the half turn and getting in behind defenders and things like that very often. That's not really what, what he's all about. So I think that if you're going to play Austin, you've got to play to his strengths. And if you're not going to play to his strengths, I don't really see the value in playing him. So I think that whilst I, I don't think he had his, his best game either, which obviously that's um, his, he's culpable for his own personal performance levels. I also think that Saints, if they're going to play him, they really need to think very, very carefully about how they're going to get him uh, the service he requires. I think that was part of the idea of the back three, back five, whatever, is that I think the Saints are, well, our best delivery from out wide is probably going to be mainly Ryan Bertrand, but also potentially Cedric. And if we can get them whipping balls into the box, then Charlie Austin's a good man to have in the middle. But the problem is if you're not getting balls into the box, if you're suddenly going a lot more narrow, then obviously it, it really negates the strengths that Austin brings you uh, as a team. I think the important thing, as we've discussed before, Steve, isn't it, is uh, just finally on Burnley, is, is really trying to get players in and around Austin if he is playing so that they're, they're feeding off of any knockdowns or, you know, if he's gone far post, they're going near post, etc., etc. So it's really trying to get up and support him so that he is making the most of those um, abilities that Adam's talking about. Yeah, definitely. As Adam says, I, mean, I wouldn't say he's a technically gifted player. He's a good centre forward who will score goals if you give him the right service. But other than that, I don't think he he offers a massive amount to mm. I mean, to any team really. Yeah. Ultimately, if you've got a striker who's going to score you twenty goals a season and you can get him the service to do so, then absolutely fine by all means pick him. But if we're going to play a system that actually suits the other attackers that we have, then it's just nonsense that he's first pick striker. Mm. Yeah, playing like we did today, it may be uh, good to see uh, Saints score 20 goals this season. But there we go. Anyway, we'll move on quickly. But yeah, but uh, just just finally, um, we we did um, a poll um, over the weekend, um, similar to the poll we did last season. Adam chuckled at uh, the 1%. I'm sure everyone remembers that. But uh, we just asked the same question, really, as per um, our similar poll last year. Where do you think Mark Hughes' side will finish next May? Um, We had well over a thousand votes. So thanks to everyone that voted. It's uh, really good to get a a reply like that. Um, Higher than eighth was um, 5%. 18th to 20th Adam was 3% this time but obviously much more uh, numbers uh, voting and then we had a split decision on 8th to 12th 46% 13th to 17th 46% so basically Saints fans are fairly confident that we'll finish somewhere between 8th and 17th Adam so we'd take that wouldn't we? Yeah I think that's a pretty (laughs) safe bet as well isn't it I would say Uh, I mean I think that the interesting thing about that is when I think about where I think Saints will finish the kind of overlap of those two areas is you know give or take a place or two either side is probably sort of in the right ballpark I would say so uh, it, from at the moment that's that's my view on it so I think that uh I think most people have got it right I'm not sure I, I, I'll tell you what well, I'll do this rather than no I'm gonna laugh at the people who said they're finishing the top eight this year. <laughs> yeah so, I like your style just, yeah I like it yeah you see yeah. where I'm going with this I do. I'll, I'll I do. have some of what they're smoking <laughs> <laughs> absolutely well I think what we might do is run it again at the end of September once we're a few games in and probably get a much clearer view there of where we are The transfer window slammed shut at 5pm on Thursday. In dramatic style for Saints for a change, Danny Ings, local lad from Netley, joined and came home to the club that he'd been at as a trainee. Adam was the first member of the media to break the Danny Ings story. I know you can't tell us how everything works, Adam, because I appreciate there's an element of confidentiality in the way that you'll do things with Saints, but just talk us through that last sort of hour of the transfer window. I mean, I'm imagining to a certain extent you're sort of starting to wrap up and think about going home and I assume what get a, a message to say hold fire there may be something happening or, or sim- similar I mean how does it all sort of work as a journalist yeah I mean I shouldn't probably go into too many details Correct. about no. about how it all goes but I mean in terms of this Thursday just gone yeah I, I think it was a bit of a surprise to everybody including I think quite <laughs> quite a few people at the club I mean it was a, it was a late decision to go for rings it wasn't as if this was something that was cooking for a long period of time before or even really on Thursday morning it was a very late decision yeah um my my uh, guess and this is not something that I know for sure this is a guess educated guess is that given uh I think there's been a bit of concern because Saints have been so poor in pre-season mm. now I know it's only pre-season but they have been very very poor 
and a lot of the the problems don't look like they've been addressed in effect that was the overriding feeling yeah i think perhaps this was a case of giving the manager a signing he wanted mm. um obviously the majority of signings are done um away from the manager he obviously has a say and, and potentially a, a right to get involved maybe even a veto if he feels really strongly but generally the majority of players we've seen arrive at the club in the last few years are not signed by the manager. They're just giving them to work with. I think with Ings, this was a case of the manager really wanting somebody and feeling that he really needed somebody and that the, you know, he perhaps hadn't got everything he needed from elsewhere in the club during the summer. And uh, Liverpool, the situation was one of Ings or Sturridge ideally would leave and come deadline day, obviously they were both there still. So, um, the Ings deal was one that can be made. I mean, it's a very curious deal to take somebody on loan for a season, but to have already agreed a, a fee to sign mm. them permanently, um, not an option, but an actual fee mm. is agreed. is very odd. Exactly why that is. I mean, I've got a few theories, but I won't go into them here. But nonetheless, uh, it's a slightly I've got, strange deal. Yeah. I've, got, I've got one, and you, you may, may not want to answer this. I mean... Could it be to do with FFP and that Saints aren't wanting to get it into the accounts this year, but it's a lot easier for them to do next year? Or are you not I th- really? I it's think not really fair to answer it. No, I mean, I, I think definitely the the accounting mm-hmm. um, measurement of it is a is a very strong possibility of why why it's happened. So, yeah, it's slightly it's slightly odd, and obviously that's made the the whole thing about the fee somewhat confusing because obviously we know what they'll pay next summer, but clearly. They're not having him for free for a year. Yep. Um, so presumably they're paying a fairly decent whack on top of next year's fee. Um, and it's, to be fair, it's a it's a brave move and it's a huge gamble because he's a guy who uh, obviously has been very talented, but no doubt has had injury uh, problems that have that have really hampered him from reaching his potential. So you're buying a guy based on the potential that he had as Steve probably said quite fairly, I think the probably the potential he had three years ago, yep. um, which is a long time ago. Now, he, don't get me wrong, he looked really good when he came on, but obviously, you know, playing half an hour at the end of a game is a bit different to how many games you're going to play in a season, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, yeah, but on actually on Thursday, yeah, I mean, I, I really thought it was done and dusted for the day. I think that was what everybody thought, and mm. then you know word started to reach me that it, that that might not be the case and then once as soon as you get that you know it's about to snowball and sure enough it all snowballed and i had uh phone calls coming in from other people i know in 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 football yeah uh, not at saints and it was pretty obvious what was going on quite quickly but then it, we didn't know exactly what would happen because from saints's point of view it was actually being a done so late mm. that they were not sure that this was a deal they could get over the line because mm. of how late it was being done um they obviously got the deal sheet submitted to the premier league which gave them they just about got it submitted to the premier league which gave them the additional two hours yeah but there was no guarantee that even then they were going to get it done because obviously danny ings was coming down from liverpool uh, and so he had to arrive before seven o'clock in order to be able to sign the paperwork and, and the deal everything had to be uh, completely right and if there wouldn't have been any any little hitch and it probably wouldn't have got through so mm. It was all very dramatic stuff. And then obviously once it's done, then you go through the process of of the club, then obviously need to get everything together to actually physically unveil him as well, which obviously makes it quite a late night all in all for for a 5 p.m. deadline. Indeed, indeed, and uh, obviously my claim to fame is uh, I'm a Netley Abbey lad. I know Danny is as well, so I mean, uh, you know, I, I know he went to the same school as me and went down to Hamble after me. It was quite a few years after me. He's, you're uh, you're uh, quite an inspiration to well, him. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm surprised that they edited that bit out of the video. Actually, I'm surprised you didn't mention me. You know, I've played at Netley Rec as well, and I had dreams of playing for Saints, but it didn't quite go that well. But uh, you got to play with me though, mate, didn't you? Come on. Well, I did. Yeah, I, I, I mean, unfortunately, I was defending behind you, so it wasn't easy, <laughs> it wasn't easy for me. But uh, there we go. There we go. Uh, just just before. Before we go on to talk to Steve about Danny Ings, I mean, from a, a Saints point of view, he's a, he's a Saints fan. You know, we've we've kind of lost that connection. I think we, we've spoken about that a bit over the last couple of years, Adam, between the, the the team and the the supporters, maybe. So someone like him, who you know, we 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 will know when he scores a goal if he kisses the badge, he probably does mean it. So how, how important or, or sort of sentimental is it for fans to have someone they can instantly connect with like him? I don't think it's is vital, but I think it's nice to have, and I think especially at Saints who have. 
um, really lost the academy connection mm. into the first team, which is, was all, all, always the big thing. You know, everybody loves to see the youngsters coming through and the academy players. That has really not happened for a long time at Saints. I mean, the nearest they've obviously got is Ward Prowse, but, you know, that's a, that's a long time ago. He, the excitement with him coming into the team and, and he's not a regular. Uh, Matt Target, obviously, who uh, might well be the most cheesed off person at Southampton Football Club potentially <laughs> this weekend. Yep. Yeah, as well. But again, that's a lot. And, and to be honest, there's nothing that I can see obvious that's coming through that's going to make a first team impact anytime soon. So it's nice to have some kind of connection. It makes it a nice story. You know, his parents uh, loving Saints and being from the area. He's spoken uh, fantastically already. I know he spoke after the game to my colleague Peter Howard and, and some really nice stories about him as a youngster and also it's a very special move for him I think and and it's a nice it's just a nice story isn't it for the mm. club and one thing I've said before on here is um a lot of the players not even just have to be local ones they can be players from abroad or whatever they are interesting they have got nice stories but they're hidden away from view by the club who won't you know kind of in the Premier League way let anybody at them as it were so you never learn anything about them you never know anything about them so you don't build up that relationship with them that you did with the players when they were in the Premier League 20 years ago or even when they were in League One and and, you know people we could get a lot more access to them and speak to them and find out about their lives and the other things they do and what their interests and hobbies are stuff just things that people get to know them and get invested in them and feel like they're they're part of that that story and that narrative Mm. um and with Danny Ings, we do know that because before he's been at Saints, we've spoken to him a lot. You know, as a local media, we've talked to him. He's, um, you know, kindly given up time in the past to, to speak to us as the local paper or his old local paper as well when he's been at other clubs yep. and perhaps playing against Saints. And we've spoken to his family in the past, all those kind of things. So people know a lot about him. They feel engaged with him as a person. And I think that's going to be significant for him getting a lot of support and, Uh, that will transfer onto the team. I I just think that um, that's a great thing. But I think also I would like to think people might think that's a little hint as to as to what it might be worth doing with other players to get, you know, to get them out there more rather than just, you know, I appreciate there's a lot of pressures on their time um, and the whole world and his dog, it seems sometimes wants to speak to uh, Premier League footballers. But obviously there's there's ways and means to go about doing it. So you're not just wheeling them out to give the, yeah, it's going to be a really tough game today uh, type interviews mm. where they, they do answer three questions and they go again. Absolutely. Um, but, and so I think people will really engage with Ings for, because they know his backstory and they can relate to him and, you know, his whole narrative because of that. Yeah. And just, just finally, you mentioned they're sort of supporting the manager with a signing that he wanted. I think it was quite evident from a few articles we've seen over the last few weeks, not necessarily from you, Adam, from other sort of national journalists about the fact that Mark Hughes was a long-term admirer of um, Danny Ings. You know, I love a coincidence. We, we'd mentioned um, previously that Les Reed hadn't been seen much this uh, this summer. Danny Ings rocks up. Les Reed is the one having the photos taken with him. Do you think that may mean that sort of Ross Wilson and the recruiting team weren't behind that and pro- probably sort of um, reiterates the point that you've made about Hughes wanting him? Or again, do you think it's just a coincidence? Well, I mean, I, I don't know about the conspiracy of, of Les in, in the media stuff. I think Hughes wanted him and the club have delivered it. I mean, there's a difficult balancing act always um, between the club signing the players that they want to sign and the manager having to have some involvement with that. Now, what I would say, first and foremost, is that my belief, and I might be wrong, so it could shoot me down, is that if it were left to the club, the recruitment department, there is absolutely no chance Danny Ings would have signed. He is not a Saints signing at all. That deal is not a club to football club deal. Mm-hmm. I just don't believe it. I just think that the manager wanted him. And they probably felt that they had to give the manager a signing. Now, exactly the same thing happened with Charlie Austin. I'm not going to divulge private conversations I had, but all I will do is give a gist to say, suffice to say, there were some very senior people at the club who, when Austin had been linked in the past, were very, very much not keen on that. Mm. And then out of nowhere, Charlie Austin suddenly signed. Well, the reason for that was not because they had a change of heart, I don't believe. It's because it was a difficult time, if you remember, Kuman really needed something he was beginning to get a bit uh angsty behind the scenes as well so i think that they kind of placated him with yeah. charlie austin uh coming in which is one that he wanted so i think that you do have to have that trade-off as a recruiting department as well you can't just expect that you're going to buy all the players and i think that you're in less of a position of strength to do that 
when you've had two years where a lot of your signings have been rubbish and there's no other really way to describe loading out 35 million pounds worth of um, star talent this summer than making poor acquisitions. Mm. So I think that Hughes probably was within his rights to to try and get one over the line. Like I said, I cannot guarantee you that's what's happened. That's not what I've been told. That's just my uh, outside best guess, basically, yep. from looking in. Perfect. Good stuff. All right. Well, we'll give you a rest there. That's crikey. Um, and ho- hopefully Steve's not dropped off the line. But uh, Steve... <laughs> Drops off to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> um, fr- from your point of view then, Steve, we- we've spoken about the uh, maybe the physical striker that Saints had been missing. So Danny Ings obviously comes in at sort of um, one minute before the, the deadline, essentially. Um, I mean, are you pleased by his arrival or are you struggling to really understand uh, about why Saints have gone for Danny Ings? Yeah, I mean, my, my initial sort of immediate sort of knee-jerk reaction was well, we've signed the wrong half-injured striker from Liverpool. <laughs> kind of thought, well, that seems odd. I mean, as Adam said, it's it's kind of a that's not really a Saints-type signing, but he made a big impact today. So he's won you over already. That's good. Well, no, <laughs> it's ultimately play, players will be judged over over a period. Yeah. Um, but you can only go by sort of what you what you see put in front of you, and in that brief cameo, yeah, he looked he looked sharp. Um, played. Played really deep, actually. I thought, which surprised me. He was he was kind of almost playing in midfield for a lot of the game. Yeah. But he was getting on the ball. He was just adding adding a little bit more sort of impetus to everybody, and that that sped up our play, and that that meant that we were able to force Burnley back a lot sort of further towards their their own goal. And I think there's there's a lot to be said for for players that can do that, and we've we've kind of struggled with that a little bit over the last 18 months or so. And, and just finally then, on this section about transfers, before we move on to talk about the Everton game, time will obviously tell, Steve, but as we look at it now, coming out at the end of the transfer window, are you sort of confident to a certain extent Saints have got the players in that they needed this summer at both ends of the pitch, or do you do you still feel we're, we're maybe one or two short? Um, I think the, the answer probably lies somewhere in the middle there. Yeah. Um, I think on an individual basis, most of the deals seem to stack up. I mean, as I say, the Ings one seems a bit weird. I'm not quite sure why we've signed Angus Gunn at this stage, mm. as good as he may well turn out to be at some point. Yep. I think priorities should have been elsewhere, particularly once we got Alex McCarthy signed up to a new to a new long-term contract. Mm. But yeah, I, I still think we're lacking maybe a little bit of power up front. Well, just power generally, maybe a bit of power in the centre of midfield as well. I mean, Lamina was kind of in and out of the game today, I think. In in patches, he was excellent. And if you can kind of bottle that that bit of him up and just have that for, for 90 plus minutes, then, yeah, I mean, you've kind of you've kind of got many of the bases covered. Hmm. But as we've kind of seen over the year or so he's been with us, you're going to get this sort of natural lack of consistency. Yeah. And I think... Teams are teams are going to bully us a little bit through through midfield again, and that's that is a slight concern. We've addressed being bullied at the back with Vestergaard coming in, and yeah, I mean he he, he fits the bill. I think Yoshida is probably a better bet alongside him, and maybe even Bednarek. Yeah, who I, I assume the reason he wasn't in the side was a similar reason for Yoshida in that he was back relatively late from being at the World Cup. But it kind of feels as if we've done just enough. And that's that is kind of almost the new Southampton way, isn't it? Mm. We do just enough to make sure we're we're sort of safe, sort of in our position again. Adam Leach and Steve Grant, sponsored by happyhottubs.co.uk. Right, to end this week's podcast, we're going to look ahead to the fixture up at Goodison Park next Saturday versus Everton. They'll be coming off the back of a two-all draw at newly promoted Wolves. Adam, Goodison Park's never really been a particularly happy hunting ground for us over the years. Um, Fancy it to be any different this time round? I think it's going to be really hard, actually. I think this is going to be a really tough game. Um, Obviously, it'll be Everton's first home game of the season so they're going to be very much wanting to to get off to a good start in front of their home fans Marco Silva's first competitive game there 
And uh, I saw, I didn't see by any stretch all of the Wolves game, but I did see the last 20 minutes when they were playing with 10 men. And I thought even with 10 men, they were quite impressive, actually. Mm. They, they looked good. They looked better than I actually suspected that they would be. So I think Saints are going to have a tough job on their hands to get anything from this game. So I, I just, such a shame. I mean, we discussed it last week, that but they're not going there with a win on the board and then... The, really feeling completely pressure free because at the moment you sort of feel that they could really do with getting a point from that game because uh if you come back then with you know one point after two games it's not as if you played at liverpool and man city yeah it's quite hard then the pressure's kind of on you because you feel like well we have to beat leicester at home now otherwise this is going to be a bad start and leicester i think are going to be useful as well so that's just the way the momentum works in football isn't it but uh, so but my overriding feeling is that it's going it's going to be a tough game for them and i mean we had the discussion it seems like only weeks ago because it was only weeks ago really uh when they were going up to goodison park right at the end of last season about how bad they've been at goodison park in general yeah and obviously they actually had quite a good day that day but mm. yeah i i suspect this is going to be a difficult game and, and they'll have to do quite a lot of defending um, and it'll be very interesting to see whether Hughes thinks that uh, Ings is ready to sort of start a full 90 minutes or not in, in a game like that, where uh, potentially, you know, you might be spending a lot of time playing as a lone striker and chasing lost causes or whether he kind of keeps his powder dry and just keeps him ticking along in, in the background, as it were, and bring him on for half an hour again. Yeah, Steve Jagiel, who may well be suspended, I, I suppose we'll uh, wait to see whether his red card from the Wolves game gets uh, overturned or not. But from Saints' point of view, I, I think Adams probably hit the nail on the head there. You'd imagine at the very least they'd probably look to play someone like Ings or Long up front that gives them a bit more mobility, sort of running into the channels. Yeah, definitely. And I'd be surprised if, if Long came in, given that he wasn't even on the bench today. Yeah. But certainly, yeah, I'd... I would be very surprised if Austin starts that game. Mm. Um, I think you need somebody who can take the pressure off by running the channels and just being a bit of a pain in the backside. Yeah. Because, I mean, as Adam said, everyone were pretty decent, I thought, against um, against Wolves yesterday. Agreed. But then, by the same token, they are also a team that do blow hot and cold. Well, I, I was going to say as well, I mean, to, to me, the way that they set up, it looked perfect for sort of counter-attacking football. So you imagine almost if Saints do come and play 5-4-1, something like that, that that may frustrate them to a certain element. Yeah, possibly. Everybody knows the way the crowd works at Goodison Park. If, mm. it's, not going, if it's not going their way, then all of a sudden they become... They're on their back, um, yep. Well, yeah, I mean, they're, they're kind of they're a hindrance rather than a help for the for the team. Mm. And um, if if we can get them... In that mindset again, I mean, when we were up there in May, they were, despite getting a 90-whatever-minute equaliser, um, they were still booed off at the end of it. Mm. And they were they were that bad that day that nigh on impossible for them to be as, as bad again. Mm. The way that Silver manages compared to the way that Allardyce would have them set up, um, they're going to be a lot more attack-minded, which given our relative defensive weakness in well, in the last year or so, is going to be a bit of a concern, I think. And Everton were fairly busy in the transfer window, Adam, with uh, a fair few ins and outs, including, I guess, the rather eye-watering £50 million they paid for Rakalsen, although he did score twice this weekend, so he's already starting to pay them back. And uh, they, they raided Barcelona for um, Lucas Digne, Mena and um, Andre Gomez. So what, what did you make of their squad and, and the threats that they've uh, got that we need to watch out for? Well, he's relatively hard to judge after one game but um i mean one thing we know about silver and the one thing we know about richarlison that history tells us is that they're quick starters mm. they don't necessarily stay the course but they're fast starters and i suspect that will be the case this season judging on how they did against wolves which was always going to be a very difficult game given all the hoopla that was going to be surrounding their return to the Premier League, their first home game back in the Premier League, etc., etc. You're going to have to cope with a lot. And then especially to end up playing uh, quite a lot of the match with 10 men. I think that was a show of sort of unity and desire from Everton that perhaps they have been accused of lacking in the past um, and which you don't necessarily expect from a team that's been cobbled together you know, with with so many summer transfers in the way that they have. But, I mean, Silver does 
uh, for all all his many faults, which I, I, I fully understand when I hear people complain about him, um, actually does seem to have a knack of being able to, certainly to begin with, uh, go into a club and really um, ingratiate himself with the players to get a great team spirit and desire to get them believing and, and working for each other. And we mm. actually saw quite a lot of that, I think, in, in, well, certainly the bit that I saw of the game against Wolves. And I think that that combined then with the fact that they have got some quality makes it a, a difficult afternoon. I mean, I find it hard to single out too many individuals just simply because I don't feel like I've seen enough of them this season. Mm, no, absolutely. I think it'll be interesting to see how they get on. Uh, spent a fair few quid over the last few years to try and secure seventh position, haven't they? But uh, there we go. Well, I think they're going to be a lot stronger. Yeah, yeah. This yeah. Year. I, I think that they will be up there uh, challenging for seventh. I think Laurie Momenemy hit the nail on his head in the column last week we're in the Echo. You know, he, he sort of divides the league into mini leagues mm. um, is, is how he always sees the Premier League. And that is generally how it goes most year. You're playing in your own little mini league. And I mean, he predicted that he thinks that the, the top six really is going to be the top seven again mm. now with Everton joining that club, um, mm. which is obviously relatively depressing scenario for the rest of the division when you go well the best you can do is finish eighth <laughs> but um nonetheless i think that 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 might well be true i suspect yeah i think it's it always depends doesn't it because burnley didn't spend anywhere near um what everton did last uh last season and uh sort of finished seventh uh you know so i guess it just takes a, a good run but I, I totally agree i mean i think you know everton will be uh up there they've obviously got a, a modern manager who uh maybe has a few different ideas to some of his colleagues but uh let's uh move on to the predictions then um i'm just reflecting on the the predictions from last week so you both said home wins and i said um oh it says draw here so uh, that's good um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna take a point for that one early. Uh, Are we actually runner. gonna score this this year? Yeah, I, I think properly. so. I mean, not like yeah. your haphazard yeah. making up as you go along scoring from last year, but yeah, we'll we'll do that. I mean, I'll probably end up winning, but we'll we'll do it one way or another. So uh, I'll, I'll take a point for last week, and then we'll see how Everton goes, and then we can sort of judge it from there, I guess. That if, if that works okay. right for you, Adam. I know you're taking fantasy football more seriously anyway. Yeah, well, I don't. Have we got any update? How's it gone? I mean, uh, I assume I'm I'm winning. I haven't looked, but I'm I'm assuming you are. When when I looked earlier, it hadn't updated with Sunday's fixtures. Oh right. But uh, we'll do a proper update next week when we have all of uh, scores. Scores been updated. League table hasn't. There you go, see. Right. Um, I'll start with predictions so that you can shoot me down, Adam. I'm going Tino Everton. Okay. Let's go with you next. Right, okay. Well, I actually think that this probably will be an Everton victory as well. So I'll go for 2-1 Everton. 2-1 Everton, cool. Steve, can you do any better than two home wins? Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna make it a hat-trick of depression uh, <laughs> for, the, for this week with a probably a 3-0. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> These are three people speaking here, I fear, that have seen Saints against Everton at Goodison Park too many times yes. for anybody's liking. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing, the thing <laughs> is... I've I've been to Goodison three times and on all three occasions we've conceded the goal in the 93rd minute or later, <laughs> uh, which, which has been deciding, which yeah. has been a deciding factor in the game. I know. I mean, you can tell how bad we've been there over the years because we all remember Kevin Davis's wonderful goal from the halfway line, but no one ever remembers that Matt Letizia scored a header in the first half. But uh, we can all remember that game because I think that's the only time we've ever won there in the Premier League, isn't it? Yes, it is, yeah. Um, thankfully, I never went to the 7-1 game. There we go. Um, we're going for three home wins, sadly. Thanks as always for listening to Total Saints Podcast. We know there seem to be quite a few Saints-related podcasts out there at the moment, but hopefully we continue to offer slightly different insight and knowledge to all the other good ones. Don't forget you can contact us anytime, Podcast at yahoo.com. I was going to do a fantasy football update, but as we just mentioned there, the uh, tables haven't been updated yet. Um, I'm sure Adam Leach is winning. Um, there are over 100 teams taking part in it, though, so thanks to everyone for joining, and uh, I'm expecting plenty of ups and downs across the course of the season. Just finally, we'll be talking about the fans forum in next week's podcast i was just going to ask are you you going along to that or are you uh, not invited uh no i I have been invited but i i might be washing my hair or coming up with a similar excuse i suspect Um, (laughs) if i can possibly come up with one i will i don't predict it being overly exciting uh event if i'm totally honest because the thing about all these things you know they've got a panel of four people let's be honest Danny Ings, great lad. I'm sure he'll be interesting uh, to an extent, but 
there's no insight there. Mark Hughes, likewise, we get to talk to all the time. Yep. Uh, Ralph, well, we speak to Ralph quite a lot. Unless he's saved up a particular gem oh, of uh, something to throw out, then, yeah. you know, it's probably going to be more of what we've heard from Ralph. So really the one that everybody wants to hear from is Les Reed. Yeah. But it's an, hour, it's an hour's fans forum, minus the fact that it's obviously Solon have got to have the interruption, I think, for probably some news and traffic and things mm. like that, minus the introductions and the and the outros, minus all those other people talking. Realistically, Les is probably going to answer three questions, and I would imagine that kind of uh, level of questioning. So it's, yep. it's not. And also, it'll be interesting to see what the questions are like, because fans are very, very good at, um, or some fans, not all fans, but are very, very good at complaining on social media about somebody but then when they come face to face yeah uh, it's a little bit of a different thing to then tell them all the things that they said that they were going to tell them, <laughs> if they met them. Yeah. so i suspect that there might be one or two pointed questions mm. I, I guess but I, I don't think he's going to get a rough ride and i think that's why from the club's point of view it's probably better to put him out here in this controlled environment than actually put him in front of a journalist who's going to actually attempt to really drill down into the details of questions because he can skirt around uh, the answer's a little bit here and it will just be move on and that's it, job done. I've I've come out and I've said my bit and now I'm not going to say anything again. Yes. Les, when will the price of hot dogs be coming down? Ex- exactly. That's, yeah. that's the thing that that's I would That's the one ask. I want to know. I'm, exactly. I'm yeah. all about the hot dogs. Yeah, exactly. Well, that doesn't surprise me. That and the ice cream. But uh, there we go. Anyway, well, uh, thanks for your efforts tonight, chaps. I hope everyone uh, enjoys listening and uh, we'll look forward to catching up with you next week where, as I say, we'll be talking about the Fans Forum. Um, this has been Total Saints Podcast, sponsored by Happy Hot Tubs. Keep marching in. days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for mcdonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery order now on the mcdonald's app at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonald's.com mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. Talk sport. Powered by fans.